So, so this evening we're going to bring to a close our very short series on mental health. Um, for those of you who weren't here with us last week, um, what we did was we looked at the, we took a biblical perspective um, as we looked at mental health and its importance to who we are, our being as, as people who have been created in the image of Christ. And so when we think about mental health, we think about things that affect us psychologically, emotionally, and even socially, and how we relate to one another. And so I think care for ourselves in terms of our, our, um, our mental health is very important, even in the way that, that it affects us and relates to us in our spiritual walk as we follow Jesus. So we're going to do things a little bit differently this evening. Um, and I've asked some very highly educated people. <laughs> um, we've got some people who have some answers for us this evening. We're going to share with us this evening. Mike is going to lead us um, in a moment. But just to recap um, on what we touched on last week, um, because what we're going to do this evening is we're going to kind of draw to a close in using um, what was leading us last week. So we looked at a character in Scripture in the person of, in the prophet, Elijah. And we considered the story of Elijah and looked at what we can learn from and through Elijah as it relates to us and our mental health. So the story of Elijah is an amazing one. Um, we read from 1 Kings chapter 19. The story of Elijah, as we all know, was an amazing story of how God used him to do miracle after miracle. So Elijah was this prophet, and God used him in an awesome way. He was ministering in a very difficult time. And as we read through the story, we were reminded of how Elijah worked. You remember, he, he was um, so powerfully used by Yahweh, he called for a drought over the land. Because most of the people in the land were following Baal as their god. A lot of backstory there. I encourage you to go back and read 1 Kings 17, 18, 19. A very entertaining story, I think. Um, and so Elijah, he calls for a, a drought over the land. At the end of three years, um, he then calls all of these prophets of Baal, 450 of them, to the top of Mount Carmel, which was a mountain that was known to be a place for worship to the god Baal. Calls them there, and then he has this showdown between them, um, saying to them, if your god is the true god, then you can call down fire and consume this altar. They pray half a day, nothing happens. Elijah gets up, he asks them to water the altar three times, and fire comes down. Wish I could have seen that. And the whole altar is consumed. Elijah then has the privilege of leading these 450 prophets down the mountain, slaughters the whole lot of them. Don't think I would have wanted to see that. Um, and then he prays for rain at the end of a drought. And lo and behold, Yahweh sends rain. Um, it was the pinnacle we, in the way that we read through the life of the prophet Elijah. It seems like this was the high point of his career as someone who was called by Yahweh. 
And what happened at the end of all of that was that it seems like Elijah had some kind of breakdown. Because as we read through the story, he fled from there. And he fled to the desert and he went to go and lie under a broom bush. And while he was there, he actually prayed to Yahweh and asked Yahweh to take his life. And so we thought about what it's like for us, even as we can relate to that, where we have these really high moments in our lives, and then all of a sudden it seems like the bottom falls out and we find ourselves somehow like Elijah, out in the desert lying under a tree. And so that's kind of where we ended last week. And so what we want to do this evening is we want to allow that story to guide us through steps again this evening. And look at what kind of a response we can have as followers of Jesus to that kind of thing as we encounter it in our lives or as someone very close to us encounters something like that. And so what we're going to do is... um, Anais is going to come, she's going to read the end of that story for us, and then Mike and Michelle and um, Andrea are going to come up, they're going to be seated here in front. We're going to slowly work through that story, Um, we're going to allow the, the, the notes from scripture to lead us as we try to see what we can glean from Elijah's story as we think about this topic of mental health, so... Anais, you can come up, and then maybe uh, Mike and Andrea and Michelle, you guys can come up as well. We are reading from 1 Kings 19, verse 5 to 21, which is the end of the chapter. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. He got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled for forty days and forty nights, until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, became a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, 
I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael. And Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whom, who, whose mouths have not kissed him. So Elijah went out there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah took, went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his attendant. Cool. Thanks, Anais. Um, Bevan mentioned earlier that we were going to be hearing from people with the answers. And just a little disclaimer, I'm not one of the people with the answers. <laughs> I'm just the person with the questions. <laughs> um, yeah, We're going to be hearing a bit from Dr. Michelle Parker and Andrea Brown. Um, and I wonder if, if you could just quickly... If you guys could just quickly just give a 10 second intro into who you are and just a bit of your experience um, and since do I hear. <laughs> so I'm, I'm Michelle Parker. Um, I'm the mother of Karen and Sarah, for those of you who know them, and um, the wife of Andrew. And um, yeah, so I'm a, a psychiatrist and I think that's why I'm most considered <laughs> appropriate for this. Um, yeah. I'm actually a geriatric psychiatrist, so I know a lot more about dementia than anything else. <laughs> you can help me, Michelle. I'm on my way there um, with the geriatric stuff. Um, yeah, I'm Andrea. I work at the church as a ministry coordinator, and I'm currently studying part-time um, applied psychology, so I'm still dipping my toes in there. So don't hold anything I say against me, please. <laughs> Listen with grace, unless it's helpful, um, then, then take it. <laughs> Cool, thank you. So we're just going to be, it's going to sort of take the form of, of more of a um, discussion format. Um, I've got some questions and some things we're going we're gonna to chat about. Um, so if you guys feel, please feel free to chip in, in anywhere or to add anything else. Um, and also if there's any questions from the audience, please feel free to, to interrupt and just pop up your hand and, and shout. Um, so yeah, as, as Bevan had mentioned and um, Annie East read for us, we... Look at the story of Elijah and how, yeah, he, he really made it. Um, and in terms of the prophets, I think if anyone had 
the grounds to say like, you know, I'm the number one prophet. He probably did and saw amazing things and yet still he went through, went through what he did. Um, and yeah, there are many aspects to mental health um, and we're going to be particularly focusing on, on depression, um, but we'll potentially touch on, on some of the others as well. Um, but yeah, and so we also recognize that depression isn't caused by just one, one thing, and there's probably many aspects that, that can cause it. Um, and one of those can be fear. And in, in 1 Kings 19 verse 3, we read, he was afraid and arose and ran for his life. Um, and yeah, from, from what I've heard and, and read in that, like, fear can often be a factor of depression, um, whether you fearing what others might think, um, fearing loneliness, or fear of not getting a job, or getting married, or fear of not finishing school, or just fear of, of whatever. I think there can be a long, a long list of, of fears. Um, and what I wanted to ask you guys are, are what are some ways we can manage fear, um, and how do we recognize, because I think in life there are fears that are legit, and then sometimes fears that are maybe a bit irrational or unnecessary fears. Um, and how can we recognize, how can we manage fear, and how can we recognize when something isn't actually, we're giving it too much weight as a fear? So I think the first thing to, um, to, to do is actually to acknowledge that there is fear. Um, and I think that that's quite an, an interesting thing. I know that I am... Um, Actually, in my childhood, I, I quite thought that I was... I acknowledged that in my parents there was a fair bit of anxiety. And I thought that I had somehow escaped this. And I um, prided myself on the fact that I was not an anxious person and that I was quite laid back. And it took me um, until I was about the age of 40 to actually realise but this is absolutely not the truth. I am actually a significantly anxious person and I just hadn't even labelled it and I think the significance of that is that you can't deal with something unless you've labelled it. So um, I think to, to know a bit of who you are, both through reflection and then also to ask the opinions of, of the close people around you, um, that, that's a useful thing. Um, so in terms of managing it, once you've realised that it's there, um, there's so many aspects uh, to managing it. I think also just to, to mention that often it will go together with, with, with personality types, not always, but if you are more on the introverted um, and conscientious side, um, you're probably more likely to struggle with, with fear and anxiety. And if you're more on the novelty-seeking, risk-taking side of the personality spectrum. You're going to struggle with other things which you are sometimes not even going to know. <laughs> it's more the people that cause the trouble than, than experience it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think to, to, to do those personality tests then, and you get the, the Myers-Briggs ones, which I'm sure you, you, you know about and you can send to each other, you know, just to know a little bit about who you are is a very useful thing and to know your personality type. And then that can often lead you to strategies of, um, of management. Um, yeah, Andrew, maybe if you want to say something. 
well, you shared very well. Um, yeah, I think for me, it was just to, to talk about it. I think when the fear starts taking over your life more than it should, then, yeah, it can become debilitating. But I also think there's healthy fear that you also get when, um, yeah, like knowing not to cross the road when these cars coming or something like that, you know, or to touch a hot stove, it's like you're going to burn. Um, so you get the healthy fear, but you also get the like fear that... Like that lion in Kruger Park or something Yes, like exactly. Um, just go, don't chase the lion unless, yeah, I don't know. Um, but yeah, there is... Then there's the other fear where it's just... Ir- yeah, I don't like using the word, but you get irrational fear um, as well, where it's... I mean, I've made up scenarios in my head where it's stuff that will never, ever come true, but your mind is so powerful, um, it can actually... Uh, overtake your whole life and you can start boxing yourself in and not actually living normally because you've already played out a story that is non-existent um, in terms of a fear that like something could happen, um, living with a could happen thing instead of did it, like is it rational? And so I think to talk with someone um, about what you're thinking um, in terms of yeah, fear is one way of managing it. If it is very debilitating, then definitely talk with a professional counsellor um, that can help you work through it and to know maybe what the trigger was for that fear like, and then also to give you techniques in terms of managing it going forward and now to recognise it because um, it can come up um, in random so, like events or circumstances, like it can be triggered by things, so to recognize what is triggering. And it will be different for different people. Um, yeah. Maybe just to um, give some symptoms if, if you are somebody that struggles with fear. So it would be that you worry a lot and that you can't switch the worry off. You, you can't, when you talk to yourself, you find that you don't listen to yourself and you just keep on worrying and it's, it goes around and around in your mind. Then there can be physical symptoms that you can find. You sweat a lot. Um, you, you get a fright quite easily. Um, your, your muscles are always tense. You find you're always having you know, a, a stiff neck and a stiff back and so on. Um, you struggle to sleep. Um, and when you find that this is affecting your functioning, that you find you don't want to go places because of it or you can't study well because of it or because you, you, you're really not getting asleep, enough sleep because it goes on and on and on, those would be the signs that it's, it's a problem and that, as Andrea said, you need to talk to somebody. Um, and, you know, a pastor is a good person after your friends, which are the, the first people, and, you know, they must obviously be good, good friends and wise friends. Um, then a, a pastor is a good person to help screen out whether this is something that can be managed um, with, you know, within a, a, without needing mental health services or whether you actually need to see a doctor. Yeah. So I skipped out parents because I think that that was, <laughs> I don't know why I skipped those out, but those would be the first people to speak to if you've got good parents, before your friends and then the pastor. <laughs> Sorry. I think I like that, Andrew, you mentioned... You, like, you don't like using the word irrational, and I think there can almost often be a thing where someone opens up about their fears and it just gets, oh, you're just being irrational, get over it type of thing. Um, and I think that links into with what you were saying as, with, as well, Michelle, just recognizing what you're feeling. And, and um, I think there must be, yeah, it must be a very, very common thing to, to be dealing with irrational fears, and that's, that's okay. <laughs> but there's, once you recognize it, then you can, can then work, work through it. And, yeah. Um, 
And then one of the, the other factors which um, can, can lead to depression is failure. And in um, 1 Kings 9 verse 4, we read that he, he said, I'm not better than my fathers. Um, and he, um, Elijah saw himself as no more successful than in stopping Israel's idolatry than the previous prophets um, before him. Um, and in depression, it can be typical to be thinking, I'm useless, I'm incompetent, and I'm a failure. Um, and my question here is, how can, can young people, and especially, or yeah, people, and especially young people, learn to, to manage failure? Um, and I remember hearing a thing that in the world nowadays, sort of everyone's, everyone's a winner type of thing. And I think that's maybe more of a thing nowadays where um, yeah, you, you're all winners, but then when people do fail, yeah, how do they, how do they manage that? Um, and um, as a friend, how can you also recognize that in, in someone else and effectively reassure them when they're going through failure um, or struggling with, with uh, failure? Just um, to comment that often when anxiety goes on and on and on and you don't manage to solve what you're worrying about, that is typical that that would then lead to um, depression. And probably at the root of that is some, some sense of failure, some sense of being trapped, some sense of being hopeless. Um, but I think what's is useful to recognize is that failure is part of life. Everybody fails. And I think that the first couple of times that we fail, it's so surprising to us. And we somehow it escaped us that it was part of life. And, and we don't realize that actually it's an extremely important step of growth, is to fail and to learn to get up again. Um, and Often we can't get up alone, um, and there again, the, um, the, the fellowship um, and the good people around you are so necessary. One of the um, significant risk factors for developing depression is not having a confiding relationship. So just not having somebody real that gets you, that understands you, that will listen to you, is a risk for getting to the point that you have you know, that things have gone this far. And then getting back up again, again, it's necessary to have the people around you that will help you. And I, um, I don't know if you've come across um, authors, Cloud and Townsend, they write some very good uh, books in terms of, you know, this kind of subject that we're talking about, um, getting up when, when, when you've fallen. And they tell a story about a, a man who, um, he, his career fell apart, which led to his family falling apart, and, and he found himself in a space where he was very much alone. Um, but he had five good friends, and he asked them if they would each, for a period of time, um, have an appointment with him once a week, which gave him five um, times a week, a, a patch of time that he could speak with people, with, with somebody who cared. And, and that helped him significantly in getting up again because there was a set person that he was going to meet with almost every day of the week. Um, yeah. I don't know if I have much to add to what you shared, but I think, yeah, definitely having close people around you. I mean, it's normal to fail. I think in today's society, we 
not taught to fail. But there's always going to be someone better than you guys. Um, or you're going to be better than someone else. But yeah, the, the point is to learn that it's a learning curve. Like to see failure as an opportunity to rectify and to grow. And yeah, just do once you know better, to do better or something like that. But having people around you to encourage you um, to say try again um, is so important. Like we need to, there's a scripture in Hebrews that says encourage one another daily as long as it's called today. Um, and I think as people, like as human beings, we need that, um, that daily encouragement. Um, yeah. I think when you are alone, like Elijah, it is when he's wrapped up in his own thoughts. Yes, he was talking to God, but there wasn't a physical person there at that time to remind him that he was being like a bit silly. Shame. But yeah. <laughs> It's just to um, comment on the neuroscience of what takes place we're in, when we're in a place of um, suffering. And I'll just liken it to an example of if you're in a, going for a walk and you, um, you see a snake, um, that will create a very great impression on you so that the next time you, you, go, you walk past that place, you will remember that was the place where I saw a snake. That, that place will um, sort of be imprinted very deeply on your mind. So when you're in a, a patch where there's a lot of fear and you're, you're in a, an emotionally um, vulnerable place, um, the, the lessons that you learn get imprinted more deeply in you. The change that can pre be produced in you in times of suffering are going to... Um, affect you much more than just hearing a sermon here and a sermon there. You know, you're going to hear these lessons and they're just going to sort of, you know, you'll take them in for a bit, they get placed in your brain, but they're not placed in your brain in the way they are when you're in a period of suffering. So I think that God, we need to suffer to grow and to change. And that gets to be a case of suffering well and having people that can speak good patterns into your life and good influences in that time of, of suffering. And then, if, very briefly, if you could touch on social media and if there's, can that result in a perceived sense of failure um, for people? Yes. Um, yeah, social media definitely has a huge effect and I think for, for us to be reminded that people are placing a version of themselves that's only a glimpse of their life um, in a day, they're putting their best selves on social media. Um, well, most of the time, most people, um, not all people, you get some that are not placing their best selves on social media. Um, but the we can, people. yeah, <laughs> we can get all the grumpy people. We can get the perception that people are living their best lives like 24 7, um, but it's actually not. And I think that's, I mean, I keep on thinking of that comparison is the thief of joy. I mean, I can look at someone's life and be like, yo, I wish I had that car or that house or that life or whatever, based on just an image that they're placing um, on the screen. So I think, yeah, be mindful of your screen time. Um, yeah, how many hours are you, sp I'm talking to myself here, how many hours are you spending on Instagram scrolling um, compared to being, like, what are you filling your mind with? Um, what are you listening to? What are you reading? Um, yeah, because I think social media is that instant, there's a thing that triggers like the imprinting of your brain, like it, we keep on going back there, 
because there's something in our brain that reminds us that like, it satisfies some part of us. You're like, okay, like, I need to go there. Um, but then it also can lead to depression because like, oh, I'm not like that person, I'm not so skinny, like lots of girls, sorry. It's like we're constantly reminded about our weight or how we look or whatever. And so we can look in the mirror and be like, <laughs> you know, like have a cry because we don't look like the image that is portrayed on, on social media. Um, so, yeah, be very careful. <laughs> uh, parent your social media uh, time. Uh, don't let it parent you. I had a, re a useful quote the other day that um, it can be a, um, a very useful tool, but a very dangerous master. Um, yeah, so I think the value you attribute to it. But just in terms of the text, um, so Elijah, interestingly, is... He is um, at the absolute height of um, achievement where um, it's demonstrated to everybody in front of him that, you know, his God um, creates the fire and, and the prophets of Baal and, you know, they, they can do nothing. And so one would think then that he's achieved so much, God has done such a great thing through him all the Israelites around there should have seen and acknowledged God is great. Um, and the, the expectation of that the people will say, yes, let's, this is the way, we'll continue following God. But then it's not like that. And um, they don't, uh, you know, the people don't all turn and, and con continue to follow Elisha. And um, Jezebel now has this big hold of him and he becomes afraid of this one person when he's had this major success. Um, yeah, so I think that what people think of us, it's natural that it affects us deeply. We all need affirmation. Every single one of us need to know that we are of value. And I think that it's a natural, because the, you know, the media is, is such a good place. Well, not the media, but the, the, um, the Twitter and the, the, it's such a good place to potentially get affirmation, but then when you don't get it, when your expectation isn't met, um, we're devastated. So I think it's, it's understandable, but it's not a good place. I think you guys have made some very good points there. Um, the thief of joy being comparison and so just recognizing we're looking for affirmation. And then once you realize that, we're like, okay, well, then I'm actually going to go to legit sources of that. And yeah. So I think for back in Moses' day, it would have been spending less time on his tablet. Um, <laughs> That's, um, and then <laughs> it took a while to get that one. <laughs> a third factor we can that can cause depression is fatigue, um, and I think that's very very relevant in our days. Um, and in um, one Kings nine verse nineteen verse five, we see Elijah emotionally and, and physically exhausted um, from all the the happenings of of the um, when when he <coughs> sacrificed on the altar, and then to to running away. <coughs> Excuse me. So you're running away in the desert, um, and one of the things about mine, mountaintop experiences is that they are often, often physically and emotionally draining. Um, and we people might come out of that saying, "Well, I don't need a day off, or I don't need a vacation, I don't need to relax." Um, and then I think so people are so just generally busy, um, whether or not it's a mountaintop experience. Um, I know I, for one, I think when I'm not busy, I'm subconsciously thinking of ways how I can get busy again. Um, so, yeah, um, and it can depression often be related to 
um, or reflected in our in our physical condition um, in not not resting in that and um, and yeah I think just in the 21st century we have got workloads and school loads that are are hectic um, and that are they didn't have a hundred years ago um, so on that like what are some signs we can look for for when we are potentially depressed because we are not resting enough um, and because we're not taking enough time off um, and how can we manage our busyness um, yeah maybe I'll just speak a little bit about the signs of the depression so to have a low mood so you find you you're sad a lot of the time you cry easily or you feel flat um, can also be more irritable than usual. Um, when pleasant things happen that previously would have made you feel better, you find your mood doesn't lift as easily. Don't enjoy things as much as you used to before. Um, your appetite may change. You may um, decrease or it can increase. Your sleep habits can change. You find you struggle to fall asleep or you wake up quite a lot during the night or you wake up early in the morning. And then some people sleep excessively, just, just keep on wanting to sleep. Um, your energy um, becomes low, so just hard to motivate yourself and get yourself going to do stuff. Um, you have a lot of negative thoughts, so you just find your mind going to the next. Um, and yeah, so, so negative thoughts about yourself and about the world in general just keep going around and around. Your, your self-worth goes down, um, your self-image. Um, you can feel um, inappropriately guilty that you just find, you know, you just keep noticing that you find you, you feel guilty about everything. And then you may start to have thoughts of, is life really worth living? Um, and that, that may get, get a bit worse towards thinking uh, it, it would really be nice if I didn't wake up tomorrow morning. And if that goes as far as praying for that kind of thing or, or starting to think of, of, of ways to harm yourself or, or take your life, then, then that's a, a really serious danger sign. And so it's about the, the, the depth of those symptoms, the amount of those symptoms that are present, and the length of time that those symptoms are present. And again, when it starts affecting your functioning, where you find you don't want to go to school or you don't want to go to work or you, you're missing more days than, than, than is reasonable, you, you have a bit of a light cold, but you stretch that out to four or five days because you just can't face life, um, then those are worrying signs. Yeah, I think there's... Yeah, and Michelle can probably talk to this, but there's like some people that have done MRI scans for people that are clinically depressed, and it actually shows like a normal brain versus a, chem a chemically depressed, like I mean a clinically depressed person, and it shows like that the functions of the brain are very different in terms of what's firing and what's not in the brain. I'm not, I don't know the technical jargon of it, um, but yeah, there are sometimes like chemical imbalances within people's biology um, that can make them um, have depression as well. Um, yeah, or other mental health issues. I think for Elijah, like I think he was tired. Uh, he just had this amazing mountaintop experience that probably required lots of, <laughs> of energy and intensity and 
God always knows what we need. Eh? He's just like, just sleep and eat. And then, but he did it twice, so sleep and eat and you'll be good to go. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think oftentimes when we are like running low, like sometimes like just eating properly, eating healthily and getting enough rest is a quick solution. But like you said, we are busy. <laughs> I think we make ourselves very busy um, in terms of work and there's external pressures of what we think people require of us, but then it's actually stuff we put on ourselves in terms of com like competing with the rest of our colleagues or people in the same um, peer groups or whatever. Like there's this competition, the unspoken competition of what we should be doing and how much time we should be spending working or studying or not saying that it's not bad stuff, we should be working and studying, but it can become very excessive. Um, to the point where we're not spending time doing things that we enjoy, um, whether it's playing sport or walk, like doing hikes. I don't do hikes, but other people enjoy doing hikes. Like just doing things that you find um, enjoyable. Um, like Michelle said, you don't have that enjoyment anymore. So that's a, a big sign. And I think often your family members will recognize it in you. The people closest to you will actually recognize that you are not in a good space. Um, more often than you would, you will just like, I, I think just trudge along because you think it's normal to be feeling the way you're feeling. Um, but yeah, if your parents pick it up or your friends that are close to you pick it up, um, take it as a uh, sign from the Lord that yeah, you need to either stop or yeah, do something else. And I think make time. I think we often make excuses that we don't have time. But the, the fact is, is that there's only one you. And uh, life will carry on without you. Your job will replace you. You can work yourself to death. They will find someone else to do what you had to do. Um, they might replace you with three other people. Um, <laughs> uh, because you've been working three people's jobs or, or things like that. And so, yeah, a question. Um, so I think that if if you have, uh, once you've gone through the process of speaking to your parents and then um, watching it for a bit, and if it stays and together you decide, actually, no, this is, this, you know, needs some intervention. And as I said, that's about the, the length of time of the symptoms, the severity of the symptoms and how much it's affecting your functioning. Um, and if there's any thoughts of death, then, you know, definitely that would be a sign of that. Then um, I think the, the next step would be to go to your GP. And um, that would help to make a decision about whether you needed um, pharmacological treatment or whether, um, if you have a mild depression, then um, the therapy approach, the, the talking side of things, is often sufficient. Um, but if it's a moderate or a severe depression, often at the end of the day, you're going to need both the, the therapy side and the pharmacology. And also just to mention earlier, we, we spoke about the, um, the sort of the cause of it. And in, in Elijah's case now particularly, you'll notice that many things came together. So he'd had a, 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 a frightening experience of somebody threatening to kill him. And then he had uh, exhaustion as well. 
Um, and so we often talk about the biopsychosocial approach in, in psychiatry. So there's often a biological element. So if you have a family history of depression, number of you know uh, family members in in your um, life that have struggled with depression, then they, then you may like more likely have a chance of developing depression and maybe there's more a, a biological side of things going on there. Um, so genetically you may be predisposed to that. You also could biologically have a thyroid um, deficiency, uh, you know, your thyroid hormone may, may be out of balance. Or you could, there's so many, you could be severely anemic and that's making you tired and you, you can't cope and eventually that can make you uh, depressed. There's so many medical causes. So again, at your GP, they would then have a look at perhaps some, some physical things that could be going on. So bio and then psycho, um, if there's a lot of psychological stresses, so it's a, it's a difficult time of your life, it's exams, it's an important year, um, you've, there's been a loss of a relationship, so some or other psychological stress going on. And then um, social, um, you know, if, if there are you know, particularly people who have um, financial difficulties, living in poverty, um, social issues in terms of... Um, you know, if you think about the people in the Ukraine, there must be a number of them de developing symptoms of depression because that is, you know, a huge stressor. So if, particularly if you've got a number of these stresses coming together, you've got a biological vulnerability, you have a loss of a serious relationship, and you lose your job, you know, that's just a recipe for disaster. Um, have I answered your question, Sarah? Yeah. Craig, did you have a question as well? I think he did one thing right out of it, which was talk to God. <laughs> it's like the only thing that he, and he was like, I'm the only one, Lord, you know. And then, like, even after all the earthquakes and the fires and the whisper, he was still repeating the same story, but I'm the only one. Um, and sometimes we can get stuck in that cycle. Um, I was actually thinking of Philippians 4, verse, well, 4, verse 6 to 8, where it says, don't be anxious for anything, but instead pray about everything. And then it's like... And then it goes on to say, whatever is pure, whatever is excellent, whatever is true, whatever is the order, I don't know. Go read Philippians 4 verse 8, I don't know it verbatim. But this control center is very powerful um, in terms of what we think. And so, again, what are you filling your mind with? What are you watching? What are you saying to yourself even? Um, I think sometimes when I'm in a, a cycle of negative thinking, I will actually... <laughs> find scriptures or find like positive affirmations um, even when I don't believe it I will say it until like it because it does actually change the chemical makeup in your brain and it actually does change the thought pattern as well um, so thinking is a big thing what are you saying to yourself also who are you surrounding yourself with um, I often find when I'm with people that are constantly negative um, or grumpy, I become like them, like if they're the majority voice that I'm part of, um, I will start like becoming like them. So who are you surrounding yourself with in terms of friends? What are you listening to? Um, what are you filling your mind with is a practical thing. And then Michelle can give the professional answer. <laughs> so processing is extremely important. One has to... Um, when you've been through a difficult experience, you've got to think about it, you've got to be able to put words to it, 
um, so that you can understand it. So the label helps you to process it. And some people can do that just by thinking. Some people can do that through reading. Some people can do that through speaking to somebody else. So, so it is important to process because if you just sweep something under the carpet, go on, and the next time something difficult happens, you sweep it under the carpet, eventually it's going to cause a problem. You do have to process. Then also just to speak about coping mechanisms, because we all have natural coping mechanisms. So um, when uh, just things, so some people will run, some people will uh, do art. Um, we all have ways of, of um, yeah, just coping when things get tough. And when our stresses overwhelm our coping mechanisms, that is a risk. And also when we become so low that we can't employ our coping mechanisms anymore. So when you're depressed, you just don't even have the energy to go running, which is the thing that would have helped you or to, to you know, go out with your friends or um, paint or whatever it is that, that works for you. So I think it's useful to identify for yourself what are the things that help you cope and to find an easier way to put them in place when you're in a stress time and that will often again involve that somebody else does it with you. You don't have to motivate yourself to do it alone. Um, I've lost the other thought. It'll come later. <laughs> All right, so then I'm going to jump onto the fourth factor, um, which is, is futility. Um, and we see that yeah, Elijah declares he's the only one who is left, um, and Jezebel and her people are seeking to kill him, and he's basically just feeling alone, isolated, and hopeless. Um, and yeah, I haven't really got a question for this one, but just if there's any comments on that, but I think just hearing your your thoughts on that, on the other the other factors that can lead to depression, I think it would then be, be like important things to one, recognize that and recognize that you're feeling futile about the situation and then then talking to people about it um, who can give an outside perspective. Um, I think something like Michelle, where you mentioned the example of the guy who had five friends that he could meet with and then talk with. Um, are there any other thoughts or, or comments on that that you guys have? Yeah, I think for me just to say that check in on your friends <laughs> and your family members um, I mean, we had a couple of years ago, 2005, we actually had one of our youth leaders uh, commit suicide um, at PBC. Um, and we thought he was the happiest guy. He was always smiling. He was like the life of the party. Like no one, no one knew the deep struggles that he was facing. Um, and we still don't have answers of like why he took his life um, because we didn't see that that part of him. So even if people seem really happy all the time, um, check in on them, like show that you actually do care about how they are really feeling. Um, yeah, Justine always used to have a thing where it's like, how are you doing? And you're like, no, I'm fine. And then it's like, how are you really doing? Um, the immediate question after that. And I think often we can ask, how are you? Um, and then just brush past the person. Because um, it's like, no, I'm fine in you. Okay, cool, bye. Um, but to actually take time um, to find out how people are really doing. Um, most people that are feeling down and depressed won't actually always say that they are feeling that way. Um, yeah, that's what I found. So check in on your friends and your family members. Yeah, and I think often this is it's a very long road um, and to keep at it when, when it becomes tiring 
don't um, don't give up hope because God will help. Um, he does know and He does care, and He is um, He is able to help us in our journey uh, to get to the place that we need to be to do the things that we need to do. Um, yeah, so don't give up hope. Keep going with the same things. Oh, thanks for that. Yes. Yes, Adrian. Can I just take another question and ask you to answer them both in the same thing? Mike, you had a question there. looking at denial, um, when someone's in denial and balancing, I guess, work and life and stressful times and, and things like that. So I'll just comment for you first, Mike. Um, I think it's one can recognize that there are seasons in life where things are going to be out of balance and you're going to work harder. Um, and that you know that and know that that's going to come to an end and that one doesn't um, try and do that forever. Um, so, but within that, I think you have to just, to, to an extent, know your limits um, and ask people around you to help you and watch uh, that you're not pushing beyond that. And then you've got to be more intentional about using your coping mechanisms during that time. Um, and you know, go for help if you need. Um, that in in for, for me in my registrarship, so the period of time where I specialised, I completely was unable to have a balance of life. There was no balance, and I became very ill during that time. And yet, looking back over it, I know that even within that, God was in that, because I think that being a psychiatrist who myself has fallen apart. He's a much more useful psychiatrist. <laughs> so that was part of the journey for me, and that was okay. And even that was within God's sovereignty. Um, so, you know, sometimes that's how it is. Um, that, that's my previous comment on you've, you've got to keep going on with God. Don't give up. Just keep going. Um, sometimes that all is, is what you have to do. Then regarding the denial... Um, so if you, in um, substance use disorders, there's a, the concept of doing an intervention where sometimes somebody's not able to see it themselves or listen to one person, then some f family members would get together with a person, sit them down, make it very clear, have sort of written out speeches of what they're seeing why it's concerning them. And if the person hears that from more than one person at the same time with illustrations, it may, you know, jog them out of that denial. Um, sometimes one has to wait until there is something negative that happens and take that then as an opportunity to jump in and have your, your, 
interventions uh, ready, you know, so that your, your appointment is already made, you can just get them there, that kind of thing. But that's a difficult one, and I suppose also, Adrian, to pray about, to pray for the person that God will open them up um, and, and make them willing to see, you know. I think that's also sometimes a coping mechanism for that person to not want to go there because they know it's going to make them fall apart or, or not cope. So it's like, okay, escapism from, from dealing with it. But it will come out eventually in some form or another. <laughs> yeah. sure. Thank you for that. Um, for the sake of time, I'm just going to briefly go over some of the seven lessons that we, that we can learn from, from Elijah. Um, and I think yeah, one just from the Bible as a whole is that depression is not a new phenomenon. Um, we see Moses and his fatigue and, and wanting to, and the frustration of leadership. And um, I think also in the Psalms, we see David many a time just um, the way he cried out to God because of his circumstances and that and, and the things he was facing. Um, so from, from Elijah's story, we see, number one, that depression can, can come after big achievements. Um, we see, yeah, that he had probably the high of his um, prophetic career, and then, so he's probably his biggest low. Um, number two, is when depressed or, or leading up to depression, we have a, a tendency to isolate ourselves. Um, number three, the depression will tell us that, that we're alone, um, which will then I guess, compound the, the thing of isolating ourselves. Um, and so from, from Elijah's story, we we learn that we are not alone, um, even though we, we might think we are. Um, five, it's good to get up. Um, in, in the passage, God sends an angel that tells Elijah, get up, have something to eat, have something to drink, um, and, and gets him out of that, that cycle that he was in. Um, six, it helps to have an angel. Um, at least in Elijah's case, he had an angel. Um, but in our case, we have God, and then also friends um, and family. Um, and so going back to that point of isolating ourselves, remembering to, to reach out to people and ask for help. Um, and if you are a friend or a family member of someone where you recognize those signs, um, being that angel to them. Um, and seven, you have a purpose. Um, at the passage ends with, with God instructing Elijah to, to do something and, and, and carry on the purpose that, that um, God had for him. And, and the same is for us. God has got a purpose for, for each one of us um, that he's calling us to. Um, so for us to remember that. Um, and then if I can ask you if you can briefly comment on that or if you have any last comments or points you would like to make before we, we wrap up. Yeah, I like that the, it says that we have purpose. So even if you are struggling with depression, God can still use you. Um, you are still valued and worthy and... God doesn't reject you if you are uh, struggling um, with sadness or, yeah, or anything um, for that matter. He can still use you. Um, yeah, I think sometimes we can often uh, disqualify ourselves because of our weaknesses. Um, but in our weakness, God is strong because his power is made perfect in that. And so just reminded that we can still be used by God. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, thank you very much for both for your time. 